As we consider John chapter 4, we've got quite a little bit of Bible to read today. So we're going to read that and begin uh, in verse 1. So if you would just join me perhaps on your phone or in your copy of God's Word, we're going to begin John chapter 4, the first 26 verses. It begins like this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph, uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting Beside the well, it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Would you pray with me? Father, we've just read uh, quite a a good little section of your word here, and we know that every time we come face to face with your word, with the scriptures, we will always be changed. We will either be softened by it, broken down by it, led to see who you are, or or we will respond with a callousness or a hardness of heart, a deadness of conscience. And I pray that we would do the first. 
I pray that we would respond today to your word, seeing you for who you are, willing to accept the hard words, but the loving words that you have for all who will listen and believe. And so God, as we look to your word, I pray uh, that what would happen in the next few minutes would not be an example of me speaking, but would be truly an example of you speaking through your word. Would you give us that, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I remember um, being in college. I went to a small school in South Carolina, kind of in the, in the upstate, right at the foot of these big, beautiful mountains. And I remember learning a lot of new things. And quite frankly, I, in my, my um, freshman year, um, I had a philosophy class. And the, the professor of that class was the dean of the college. And he himself was a philosopher and a theologian. So he took this stuff very seriously. I found this class to be quite challenging. Uh, we, we took these little uh, sessions of the class and he taught logic. There were these little logic games and enthymemes and syllogisms and things like that. And, and I remember kind of being stumped by a number of them and it getting easier as the semester went on. But I remember walking into college thinking I'm a pretty smart guy, walking out of my freshman year thinking maybe I'm not so smart as I thought I was. At different points in the class, though, um, a student might ask a question of the professor, and the professor would not answer the question, not because there wasn't an answer, but because the student wasn't asking the right question. Does that make sense? You have to, awesome, <laughs> asking the wrong kind of question is evidence that you aren't picking up what the professor is dropping, right? Asking the wrong kind of question is evidence that you're not tracking with, with where he's going. It's like someone, someone trying to teach another person about diesel engines, and, and at the end of the whole session, the person says, okay, okay, I think I've got it, I think I've got it. Now, what are the best kind of spark plugs again for a diesel engine, right? Diesel engines don't use spark plugs for that, that reference. But anyway, it's like asking the wrong kind of question is evidence that you're not understanding what's going on. And this little session right here in the Scriptures is, is another example of that. Remember Nicodemus? Remember when he was asking Jesus questions, trying to understand, trying to pick up what Jesus was dropping, when Jesus was talking to him about being born again. And Nicodemus was like, whoa, teacher, how can I enter my mother's womb again and be born again? He's, he's not tracking with what Jesus is saying. And now Jesus is telling the woman, the Samaritan woman, a few things about living water. And she's like, wait a second, living water? How are you going to get me that living water? Because you don't even have a bucket. She's not picking up what Jesus is, is dropping. But this woman, she has questions. And, and Jesus engages her in love. He does not compromise the truth. But he also extends love to her. He meets her where she is. I have to give a little aside. My philosophy professor in college, um, anytime you would say something like that, well, we have to meet people where they are, he would look at you and say, have you ever tried to meet someone where they're not? You know, just <laughs> philosophers are already picking, picking everything apart all the time. But anyway, this woman is talking about three things. She's talking about the wrong kind of water. She's asking Jesus questions. The wrong kind of water, the wrong kind of life, and the wrong kind of worship. 
And Jesus comes along to teach her about better water, a better life, and better worship. And that's what we're going to learn about today. And the first of these is better water. As you can see by now, verses kind of 1 through 15, I'll, I'll read a couple of different parts of that. But Jesus meets the woman at the well. To all this talk about water. By now, if you've been reading and following along with us every week in the Gospel of John, water seems to be a big deal. There's, there's a, water is always kind of a picture. Remember, uh, not long ago, Jesus said, unless you are born of the Spirit and of water, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then there's all this talk about baptism. John the Baptist is over here baptizing. Jesus is baptizing. They talk about having to baptize where there's enough water to do the baptism. Water seems to be a big deal. And so here in this passage, Jesus again uses water to teach. She's coming here because she's thirsty. And, and our own thirst every day remind us that if we go without water for any length of time, our lives won't go well. And Jesus uses this illustration to teach her, I give you water that never runs out. I give you water that satisfies and that you will never have to replenish again. Look with me in verses 7 through 10, just to kind of circle back. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, she's confused, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? In other words, I'm not the right kind of person. Why are you associating with me? Because your people don't associate with people like me. Not only am I a Samaritan, not only am I a woman, but I'm coming here at the wrong part of the day. Coming here at dead noon, right? The hottest part of the day, simply because one can, one can assume she wants to be there when nobody else will be around. She wants to be able to slip in and out quickly, kind of like I do. I try to plan the time when I show up at the barbershop so I'm not there when everybody else is there. It's not because I'm ashamed. It's because I just want to get in and get out. She is ashamed, and she wants to come there and get in and get out and go about her business, not having to interact with everybody. But here's this man, and he's the wrong kind of man to be talking to her, and he wants to get up in her business, and this is uncomfortable. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, this is interesting here, for Old Testament, in the Old Testament life, for, for, for Jews and Samaritans, which are you know, ethnically, partly Jewish, the gift of God means the Torah. It means the first five books of the Bible. What Jesus is saying here to her is, if you knew your Bible, you would know what I'm saying to you. In other words, I'm telegraphing to you. I'm saying living water. If you really knew your Bible, you would remember in the Old Testament where living water was spoken of. You see, he's saying, I'm sending, you, I'm sending you smoke signals. I'm telegraphing to you what I'm saying. If you really understood the Bible, you would be picking up what I'm dropping. If you, if you understood the gift of God, if you knew the Torah and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's interesting because living water, we see that. We'll talk about it later, but it shows up in, in Jeremiah. What is Jesus doing here? I think part of the 
the key to unlocking this little mystery is in verse 4. If you can just scroll your eyes back up to chapter 4, verse 4. It says this strange, strange thing about Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, perhaps if you've grown up in church and you may have heard this verse or this passage preached before, pastors and Sunday school lessons and different things make a lot of make a lot of the fact that sometimes Jews would intentionally take the long way around because they didn't want to go through Samaria. Their 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 disdain, their distaste, their their hatred even for the Samaritan people was so intense that sometimes they would cross the river go up around the lake and cross the river again to, where, to get where they were going instead of just taking the most direct route. Now that happened, but Jesus, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now why would he have to? Why would Jesus be obligated to do this at all? Many commentators say, and I think this is probably the, the, the best understanding of this, is that he was compelled by the mission you know, this is a missionary God that we serve. He loves all kinds of people. And because of his great love, the same John 3.16 love, for God so loved the world, the, the cosmos, right, this dark place in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son into that place that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's love, Jesus' love for the people was so intense that he was compelled to go to the place where the undesirable people were. Does that make sense? There was no one outside the reaches of God's love. He had to pass through Samaria. He was compelled, I believe, the Bible teaches, he was compelled by his love. The culture that she's in said this is not how things ought to go, but Jesus is all about messing up categories, isn't he? He's all about loving, inviting, and engaging the wrong kind of, of person. And for those who might be listening on audio later, every time I use the, the phrase wrong kind of person or right kind of person, there's a scare quotes there. Did you know that the, the Jewish disdain, that the hatred of the Samaritans was so intense that they had actually written some things into their laws have it footnoted for those who, who do pick up the sermon. But it's a quote that I'll give is that they believe that Samaritan women were impure from the cradle. So to come into contact with, an, with a Samaritan woman was to make you impure as a Jew. While the rest of the culture thinks that they will become unclean by being around the unclean, Jesus knew that whatever he touched became clean. And that's why he went to the undesirable places. That's why he had to go to Samaria to meet with people like the Samaritan woman. And the contrast is so perfect. Nicodemus, the right kind of person, not believing yet, is he? Right? He's the teacher of the law. He's not understanding. And friends, before this story is over, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. The wrong kind of person, the woman of Samaria, believes. She leaves her water bucket. She goes into town to tell people about the one who saved her. Jesus is this loving.
to what makes a person clean, what ultimately satisfies, what is it that quenches our deepest thirst is living water. In verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is bringing the Old Testament into view, right? And, and those of you who come on Sunday nights, we, we remember that the Old Testament is like a picture book. It's these shadows that, that in the New Testament become full. And this is an example of one of those. In Jeremiah 2, it says this, this way before the time of Jesus, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out, in other words, they've dug out cisterns or wells for themselves, broken cisterns, broken wells, you might say, that can hold no water. You see, this is, you see, see the, the dog whistle here, the, the telegraph that Jesus is sending her Jeremiah talked about living waters, that God was the one who would bring living waters. And when Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you living water, he's saying the very things that cause people to stone him because he is claiming to be the God of Jeremiah chapter two, the God who can give living water. There's two things are going on. I think they're true of us that are told of us in, in Jeremiah chapter 2. You've committed two evils. We've forsaken God. We've, we've, forsa we've turned away from the fountain of living waters and we've tried to dig our own wells. We've tried to satisfy us with the work of our own hands. But our wells, our cisterns, never hold water and they never satisfy. And so Jesus teaches her not only about this first thing, better water. He teaches her about a better life in verses 16 through 20. Let's just review that. Let's read back verses 16 through 20. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. In other words, technically, when you say you, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. And what, have you, and what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is probably the biggest understatement in all the Bible. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Look at her changing the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, which is, almost sounds condescending, but really a, it might be more, more better rendered ma'am or, or madam. Madam, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. The hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, what Jesus is doing here isn't just making a point. He's applying the Bible, the truth of the Bible. He's applying truth to the life of a real person with real sins and real hurts. This woman not only has, has perhaps been disobedient in her life, or we know that she has because we all have. All have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And Jesus brings out a couple of things that are going on in her life. You know, she's living with a man who's not her husband. But also, she comes to the well because she comes to the well in the middle of the day because she just, she has hurts. She has concerns. And Jesus comes to take care of both of them. Jesus comes to minister his grace and his love to both of them. He's saying to her, in in essence, you are living in a broken way and it's not working out. And you've got to be tired. You've got to be worn out. You have to be weary. You're doing all, you're living with a man who's not your husband. You're running away from God, trying to solve your own problems in your own way. And even your coming to the well in the middle of the day is just one more effort, just one more installment of your attempt to, to fix your problem your own way. You're trying to work around the, the uncomfortable things that happen in your society. And Jesus says, but the, the wells that you have been digging haven't been giving you water, have they? The wells that you've been digging, they haven't been satisfying, have they? They're not holding water, are they? He says, but I come to give you water from a well that will never run dry. That's what he offers to her. And this is the call for everyone. It says in Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, the very verses that Mike read just a little while ago, everyone who thirsts, come, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without mercy and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love of David. And he goes on, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. You see the love of God, the love of Jesus. He will abundantly pardon. See what's going on here in verses 19 and 20? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She tries to have this, this doctrine discussion. She tries to change the subject. This is where really where the, the rubber meets the road. Jesus has made it clear that he's not here to body slam her. He's not here to condemn her. Yes, he's going to bring up the true things in her life that she probably needs, that, that she does need to bring to him, but he's not here as some kind of mean, mad man. He's here to offer her life. Jesus probes her life. He reveals that, yes, she's trying to dig her own well. And what happens? Well, she realizes it. She doesn't deny it. She just tries to change the subject. So I perceive that you're a prophet. Why don't you answer me this doctrinal question here? Our people say we worship on this mountain, and your people say we worship over there. What do you say? And Jesus says, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. D.A. Carson says, it's always easier to talk theology than to deal with the truth that's personally distressing. It's always easy to change the subject, isn't it? We have to watch out for this tendency in our own life to blame shift. When, when, when the Holy Spirit of God starts you know, messing with us and, and doing his work and, and telling us of things we need to take to the Lord, and we're like, oh, wait a second, I'm not as bad as them over there. Change the subject. You know, what about this doctrinal question? You know, God's really complicated in the Bible. I don't understand everything, so maybe I don't need to repent until I can get every question answered out of the Bible to my satisfaction. 
Or maybe we just start in on our own opinions. You know, well, some people say this and, and some people say that. And, and, and I don't know, you know, Jesus. And, and we try to take the, the focus off of what God is trying to do in our life when really he's just trying to take the bonds, the chains off of us. And still we, we resist him. We resist him. But you see the heart of Jesus here. He's not trying to body slam her. He's not trying to, I don't know, rubber face in her failures. Instead, he's, he is saying the truth. He's saying, listen, there is no forgiveness of sin without you dealing with it. You have to repent. You have to turn. Out of love, he's saying to her, just turn. Turn away from your own broken well and turn to me, Jesus says. Acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your need, and you can live. So we have the, the tendency to believe that our sins can be taken care of just by the passage of time. Sweep them under the rug and maybe in a month later we'll lift up the rug and they won't be there anymore. But Jesus says the only way to really experience freedom from the guilt and from the weight is to confess and to receive his mercy because he's there to offer it and he's offering it to this woman. Remember the Old Testament where it says, when I kept silent about my sins, my bones wasted away, but when I confessed them to you, it was joy, I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's the point. Thirdly, Jesus is here to tell her about better worship, better water, um, better, a better life, and now better worship. Look in verses 19 uh, through 26. We'll read this last section and see what the Word of God might teach us. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive or I see that you're a prophet. In other words, you know some things about me that you ought not to know. You just seem to know them. God must be telling them to you. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, or ma'am, madam, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Friends, do you see the call of God today? Is it you? Is it you that God left the 99 and came to seek you so that you might worship Him for the first time in your life? So you might worship Him truly. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. In other words, don't, don't worry, Jesus. When the real one gets here, He'll tell me what I need to know. And Jesus says, Lady, I am Him. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And friends, the same truth applies to us today. Jesus is not far off. He is meeting with us in this room. And he approaches each of us and he says, I who am speaking to you am he. He deals with this thing, this question about worship, which is an important question. He says to her, basically, the point isn't the location or the form of your worship, but whether or not it, it is in spirit and in truth. 
These things are, are very deep, and I tried to, to plumb some of them on, on Wednesday night for those who were gathered here. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, in spirit, I think a rough way to say it would be this. Worship in spirit is what happens in your soul when the Holy Spirit makes you to love God because of the gospel. Worship is what happens in your soul when the Holy Spirit makes you to love God because of the truth of the gospel. That's what worship in spirit is. When you're reading your Bible and you come across this grand truth and you just have to sit there and give God praise out of, out of your spirit, out of your soul because of what he's done and your cause, you're just drawn to love him and your, and your love returns for him. What does it mean to worship God in, in truth? It means this. We can know we are worshiping in truth if what gets our motor going isn't the form of our worship, but the facts of our worship. See, the woman of Samaria, the Samaritan woman, she's worried about the form. She's worried about whether it needs to happen on this mountain or in that city. In our day-to-day, -day, we have the same kind of discussions. Do we need to be liturgy or non-liturgy? High church or low church or contemporary or traditional? And, and what about the preaching? What about that? Casual or, or formal dress? What, is, what, what are all these questions? And I think what Jesus is saying is, is these things are secondary. They're ultimately not the point. What the point is, is, is what you're preaching true? Because that's what causes your heart to sing the gospel. Is what you're reading. Are you reading the scriptures or are you reading man's opinion? Because that, the scriptures, are what causes our hearts to sing. Is what you're singing true? I don't care if it's, if it's, it's a slow beat or a fast beat. Is what you're singing true? Because the truth of the gospel is what causes our hearts to sing the gospel. She's worried about the form. He's worried about the content. She's worried about the location. He's worried about the condition of her heart. You see that? And that's why I'm so glad that we make, we make it a concerted effort here to make sure that the things that we are, we are preaching, the things that we are singing, and, and, and when folks come up here to, to read the Scripture, when we pray on Wednesday nights together, that what we are praying, what we are preaching, and what we are singing is true because that's what ought to get our motor going, the gospel truth of the words. We are not here to be trendy. We are not here to be worship the good old days. We are here to worship God. That is what we are to keep our focus on because it's not about us. It's about Him. So let me ask you a couple of just kind of diagnostic, just probing questions. It's like when you go to the doctor, you know. Hey, have you been... You've been doing good on your cholesterol? Oh, yeah, sure. I got like Burger King coupons sticking out of my <laughs> pockets here. It's Brian Regan. Sorry. That's not original to me. That's stolen. <laughs> so maybe, maybe your worship, maybe as you're diagnosing your own heart, maybe your worship hasn't been all about God. Maybe it's been about you and your preferences or something like that. Or maybe it's just even been non-existent. You walk in, you kind of half-heartedly read the words. You're really not expecting God to engage your heart by what you read in the hymnal or what we read on the screen or what we read in the Bible. I would, I would call you. I, I would plead with you. Would you commit? Would you just say in the quietness of your heart this morning, Jesus, I want to today begin focusing on the truth. I want you, God, 
to use the truth to change me. Not emotionalism, not dry head knowledge, but the truth to, to cause my heart to sing for joy. God, would you do that? Perhaps that would be a prayer that you could pray to him today. I would say to you also, are you tempted to dig your own wells? Are you trying to satisfy yourself through your own methods? I mean, you, you say, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but let me tell you what, I've really been living my own way. I've really been digging my own well. I've been trying to satisfy myself on my own water. And you know, it's just, it's not working out. It's because it's like pouring sugar in the gas tank. We were meant to run on the fuel of Christ. We were meant to run on the fuel of the gospel. And trying to live our lives for any other pleasure ultimately just won't do it. It just doesn't deliver. So I would ask you to respond to God today and say, to respond to, to God today and say, Lord, I just want to give you the keys to my life. No more digging my own wells. I want to be satisfied in you alone. Help me to return to you. Maybe for another segment of the folks here today or listening, maybe it's not that, that you're a believer and you need to return to God. Maybe it's that you've never come to him in the first place, and you need to say, you know what, God, my whole life has been one story of me trying to dig my own well and satisfy myself with the labor of my own hands. And you know what? Sometimes the well is dry, sometimes it's got a little water, but it never really satisfies. Jesus, give me living water. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. Jesus, give me living water. And if that's you, I just beg of you, I beg you to come down front and to speak with me either during the little response time that we have. I know it's all intimidating and stuff, but maybe after the service, let's talk to me and let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus and to drink of this living water for the very first time. Maybe there's some other kind of decision. Maybe there's some other kind of way that Jesus is, that God is calling you to obey. Maybe you need to follow him. You know that you're a believer. You need to follow him in baptism or you need to follow him in, in church membership or you need to follow him in some kind of sin pattern that you just need to repent of and you need help knowing how do I get out of this trap. Friends, the, God, the, the grace of God, the same grace that had to go to Samaria will visit Trenton Baptist Church this morning and it will visit you, whatever you need. Would you pray with me? And let's conclude. God, I thank you that your grace is the same grace that left the 99 sheep to go after the one that was lost, and we know that we were that one. Lord, we see today that the grace of Jesus, that the mercy of Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did you have to? Because, because of your great love for the wrong kind of people, people like me, people like us, people who, who weren't born believing. None of us were. We had to be sought. We had to be sought by a loving father and a loving shepherd who just wanted all of the sheep to be back in the fold. God, I pray today for the one who needs to make some kind of, I don't know, response to you that they would do that, that there would not be any kind of obstacles in the way of that. I pray that for the one who needs to perhaps come and, and say, I need Jesus today. My life has been one whole story of me just kind of digging my own wells and it's just not panning out. I need Jesus who will give me living water so that I, can, I will never thirst again. Father, whatever the case may be, would you give us the grace that we need to respond to you? We pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen.